0: Let's turn to 2 Samuel, chapter number 7, verse number 1. Second Samuel, chapter number 7, beginning in verse number 1. We'll read a number of scriptures. We'll skip down to verse number 10. The Bible says in verse 1, And it came to pass, when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, that the God that the king, excuse me, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in an house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me an house for me to dwell in. Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. Skipping down to verse number 10. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I have that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will build thee an house, that he will build thee an house. And so for a few moments tonight, I want to, with the help of the Holy Ghost, preach from this subject, the house that God built. Turn to your neighbor and say, not my house, but the house that God built. If you would, put your Bibles down, extend your hands toward this pulpit. I pray, God, that you would fill this place. I pray that your anointing, your power would fall down. I pray that the Holy Ghost would flow in this house. I pray that you would help us to be sensitive to your spirit. I pray that you would touch lives, that you would impact individuals. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You can be seated in the fear of the Lord. The Bible says that David desired to build God a house. He desired to build God a temple. He was looking at his own life, and he saw that he, in fact, was very blessed. And he spoke to Nathan. Nathan was a prophet in the life of David that would be very important. He was very important in the ministry of David, and he tells him that that I dwell in a house of cedar. I dwell with many blessings, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. But God loved the tent. God loved being able to move because God is a moving God. Genesis chapter number 1, the Bible says that he moved upon the face of the waters. From the very beginning, God was moving. God is a moving God. Revelation chapter number 22, the Bible says that surely I come quickly. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. God has always been a God that likes to be mobile. God doesn't stay in one place for very long. He's not a stationary God, but he is a God that moves. Nathan tells the king in this text, he says, go, go go, for it. Go do what you want. Do everything that your heart desires because God is with you. But when he went home later on that night, the Lord spoke specifically to Nathan. Nathan relays the message to David We find that what he had initially told David is not what God had spoken unto him. He says, that's not what I told you to do, speaking of David, because David was a man of war. The temple was never supposed to be built under a man of war. The temple was to be a place of peace. So this was to be reserved for a man by the name of Solomon, David's son, when he would eventually be king. But he says to David in our final scripture, he says, but I am going to build you a house. He tells them that I am going to build you a house, not you building me a house. He tells them, David, before there is to ever be a building, that I am going to build you a house. What I'm going to do, you are not able to do. For I will not be able to fit in your tiny house. I will not be able to fit in the house that you tried to construct. Solomon would later write, Will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. Or how much less is this house that I have builded?" We even find that Solomon, in the Solomon's temple that he ended up building, he is questioning the building itself. And he says, The heaven of heavens cannot even contain you because you will never be able to build a house that is large enough for God. And I affirm that statement tonight that the house that we build with our own hands is never going to be large enough for the God that we serve. Because the God that we serve is not a God that is able to be put into a box. He is not a God that we are able to try to contain. But he is a God that supersedes our own flesh and hu- humanity. He is a- expanding beyond our own infinite reach. We aren't able to understand the great vastness of God. Because God, when he builds the house, it's a big house. So we find that you're never going to build a house that is large enough For God, the Bible says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Matthew chapter 16 says, upon this rock, I will build my church. The house of David was not a house that was built by David. It was an order. It was established by God himself. The house of David was not a a physical house. It was not a tangible structure. This house that God built was not to be some temporal thing or something that we could touch or see with our own eyes. It was a deep spiritual order that was prepared specifically by God for his people. We read about it in the Old and New Testament. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse number 10, it says, I will pour upon the house of David the spirit of grace. Zechariah 13, verse number one, it says, In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David for sin. In Acts 15, chapter 16, it says, After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord. We find that this house that Jesus, that God builds, is not just a God that is, or not just a house that is built with human hands, but what he is saying is, David, I am going to build you a house that is so much bigger than you can even imagine. If you will just do my will, and if you will just build me a house, if you will just begin to understand that the house that I build is never going to be built with your hands, but the house that I am building is a house that is going to reach every demographic, is a house that is going to reach every community, it is a house that is going to reach the Jew and the Gentile, it's a house that you're never going to be able to put your finger on because when God builds the house, it's a house that we don't understand. It's a house that extends on for infinity. David, you're never going to be able to understand it because I am going to build the house. So he says, David, don't don't just get caught up on the physical, but allow me to build the house. Allow me to be the one that builds the house for you. The application tonight is that God is building a house in our community. And I truly believe that. God is building a house in our community. It seems like every time that we've stepped into this house, each and every time during this revival, there has been a prophetic word of anointing that has gone forth that says the revival that God is sending is not going to be able to be contained in this house. What he is saying is, Bakersfield, you're never going to be able to contain the house that I am going to build because the people that I send unto you, they're going to take up the pews, they're going to take up your seat because when God builds, builds the house, he builds it bigger than you can ever imagine. He builds it greater than you can ever think. And he says, you know what? When I build the house, great things happen. Bakersfield is bound for revival. Well, what are we going to do? Well, we're just going to allow God to build the house. We don't know what we're supposed to do, but we're going to prepare because when God builds the house, he always does it right. Why don't you put your hands together? This house is not temporal. This house is not just brick and mortar. This house is not just pews in a pulpit, but this house is something that is bigger than that. This house is a lineage of power and dominion. He is saying, you know what? You can have power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and the house that you think is just a church body, the house that you think was just put up by men, this is not a house that has been established by man, but this is a house that has been established by prayer. This is a house that was established by a fasting individual that said you know what I don't know what I'm supposed to do but all I know what to do is I'm going to build God a house (laughs) hallelujah this goes beyond just our talents and abilities goes beyond our song this goes beyond our sermon I can prepare a cute little sermon but this isn't about a cute little sermon it's not about programs but God is building a house, and he is the one that holds the key to the house of David. He's the one that, that holds the key to authority and apostolic dominion in Bakersfield. And if we really want the revival of, that that has been spoken about. If we really want the understanding and and the revival and the harvest that is saying that it's going to be brought forth, we are going to have to start preparing because there's no way that the city of Bakersfield can fit in this city. Brother Rowley said, you know what? You better start claiming 10%. But I don't know about you, but 10% of Bakersfield doesn't fit in this house. And so what we've got to start doing is we've got to start building a house. I don't know if it's a physical house. I don't know if it's just a spiritual house, but we've got to start preparing for that house because it's never going to fit in this location. We're never able going to be able to house that house or house that revival because the house is bigger than you could ever imagine. So he says, David, don't get caught up in looking at the physical. Don't get caught up looking with the natural eye. Don't get caught up just looking at what is present. But I want you to begin to start looking at the eyes of the Spirit, through the eyes of the Spirit. I want you to begin to see the invisible. I want you to begin to see what my will for the house is. So he says, I want you to start seeing it. And that's what I want us to do tonight. I want us to start believing and seeing the harvest that God has sent. We prayed Monday night, we prayed Sunday night over individuals that were lost, over lost sons and lost daughters. I want us to start believing and looking exactly where they're going to be sitting when they come back home. Because that's what he's saying is, we've got to start seeing the invisible. It may not look like it's going to happen right now. We don't see it right now. There's no way it can happen because there's empty pews. But if you start looking in the invisible and you start seeing what God is doing, all of a sudden you can start start imagining all of the people that are sitting on these pews right now and we can start naming the names of individuals that are sitting on this front row that used to sit on this front row 10 years ago and we can start to imagine it because God is saying don't just look at the house that is physical but look at the invisible house so that is our purpose and the call tonight that he's building us a house and he's giving us the keys to the kingdom David, in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, David numbered Israel. The Bible says that Satan stood up against Israel. And Satan convinced David that he needed to go count the people. And so David did that, much to the chagrin of God himself. God was upset with this decision. And he decided that he was going to judge David for his actions. David repents and he begs for mercy. Jesus, and God gives him three options. He gives him three things that are going to happen, and he's got to pick one. He says, you're either going to have three years of famine, you're either going to have three months, which you are going to be destroyed by your enemies, or I will give you three days' pestilence by the Lord. And in his humility and in his desperation, he seeks after God. He's looking for the presence of God because he's just found himself at fault and he's having to ask for repentance. And in his struggle of seeking God, we find that in his very struggle, in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse number 1, says, then David said, this is the house of the Lord God. In his very struggle of seeking God, he locates the very place where he is to find God. I've come to encourage somebody tonight that even in the midst of your struggle, don't ever question the ability for God to reach down and talk to you right where you are. It may look dark. It may look like there's no way out. But God is always able to reach down and pick you up because his arm is not short that it cannot reach. His ear is not deaf that it cannot hear. And so even amongst the struggle and even amongst the turmoil, God says, you know what? I will show you where the house of God is. And so we find that he's given this choice. He's given this option. But he's also given the mercy of God because God is a merciful God. It says that, that he is to go. He is to do a sacrifice. He's supposed to sacrifice. But in that moment, in the moment where he is looking for the house of God, He is told he's he's got to go sacrifice to a man by the name of Ornan. We find that in this sacrifice, in this sacrifice, he is supposed to pay full price for the sacrifice. Ornan is trying to barter with him or tell him that that he will help him with the sacrifice. And David says, no, I, I want to pay full price. I want to pay full price for my sacrifice. This is telling because you can never give a half-sacrifice unto God. We find about sacrifices in the very beginning with Cain and Abel. When God rejects a sacrifice, it is not good. There's no such thing as a half-sacrifice. But in this time, David is sacrificing. Before he ever gets to the sacrifice, he finds that here is the house of God. And he cries out in his struggle, that I have found the house of God. Even though there was no physical building, there was no place where you could say that is a church or that is a temple, he looks and he finds the house of God because he recognized he had just stepped into the invisible. He had just stepped into where he believed was supposed to be the future temple or the future house. And so he was looking at this house after his prayer and his tears had washed his vision. While others would only see a threshing floor, while others would only see a barn, he sees the house of God. So I've come to tell you that you should never doubt the things of God. You should never doubt the house of God because when God gives you a promise... It says that his promises are yea and they are amen. And so his promises, if he says it, it's going to come true. And if he says that you are going to have something, you better believe that he's going to give it to you. And David, in this struggle, sees a magnificent house. There's nothing standing before him. But what he sees is he sees a future destiny. He sees a future purpose. And there's some that would say that this place is just a physical house, that these walls are just physical walls. But I know that there are individuals that have a testimony that say that this is not just a church. This is not another form of religion. But what this is is a place of destiny. This place and this house is the place where I received my joy. And that has never changed. And so if you've come to the house tonight and you've needed joy and you've needed peace, you have come to the right place because the house of God can give you everything that you have been seeking. This is so much more than just a physical house. This place means so much more to me than just a building. This place is in fact the the very center of everything that I do. We read about this barn of Ornan. This would eventually become the city of David. This place that is the threshing floor. The place that he is supposed to go sacrifice is the very place where we find the city of David would later be. But David caught a glimpse of the invisible. David caught a glimpse of of God's will and God's purpose. Instead, he began to make preparation. Instead of being fearful of the invisible, he began to make preparation for the physical house. But this was only after he saw the invisible house that God wanted to build. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse number 5, the Bible says, And David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent, of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. David got a taste of the divine order. He got a taste of what God wanted him to do. He got a taste of of where God was calling him to go, and he began to prepare. Philippians chapter three, verse number 14 says, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. Our future is not so much predicted or predicated on our production. It's not on the things that we produce. It's not all the things that we put out, but it's, it's on the things that we are in process of making. Our future depends on our preparation and our ability to build the house that God is building. Not just faith in the product, because we can have a lot of faith in something that has happened. But it's faith in the process, believing that I don't have my answers right now. There's no way that that this can even happen. I've been a Sunday school teacher for too long and, and I've never seen anyone reap the fruits of my ministry. That's the process. We can have a lot of faith in the result because we all can shout and holler when a Sunday school kid gets the Holy Ghost. But in the process where we begin to think, God, I don't even know if it's worth it. I don't even know if my ministry is being heard. I don't know if my prayers are even being answered. It's in that moment that God is saying, you have got to have faith. You have got to believe in the house that I am building. You may not see the results right now, but I am building you a house. So David prepared abundantly. Our focus should be on the preparation. Our focus should be on the preparation of the house. Says Solomon becomes king. He becomes king after David's reign. He builds the temple. And it takes almost 15 years for him to build this temple. Now all those years, 15 years says that there was never the sound of a hammer. There's never a sound of a hammer or a sound of an axe. That's hard to imagine. That's hard to even believe that, that in a building, in a temple the size of Solomon's temple, that there would never even be the sound of a hammer or of the axe. This is Solomon's temple, right? Or Solomon's porch is what we call it's hard to imagine that there would never have ever been the sound of a hammer or the sound of an axe for something that is this size. But you see, what is very interesting is in 1 Kings chapter number 6, verse 7, it says, And the house, when it was in building, was built of stone, made ready before it was brought thither, so that there was neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron heard in the house while it was in building. It wasn't just something that was prefabricated, but it was something that was prepared. It was a mark. It was an order. So every block, every beam, every piece of construction was specifically designed and prepared for such a time as this. It was prepared for the house. Every item was assembled in the exact order. But what is interesting about this is that we never find Solomon at the site of the temple. We never find him in the physical place where they are building the temple because Solomon was not involved in the physical directorship of this temple. You would think that he would be the one that is overseeing the project that he was involved in. We would anticipate to find the, the contractor on the site whose job it is. We would anticipate that. We would expect that. But it never says that Solomon was at the temple. Instead, it says that he was studying the order of his father David. Second Chronicles chapter 8, verse 14, it says, According to the order of David his father. Verse 16, Now all the work of Solomon was prepared. The only way that we can learn the order of the physical house is we've got to get into the place of the invisible house. We've got to get into the place where we begin to see where God is calling us to be. The invisible house was Solomon's obsession. When many would say, you know what, it's, it's okay for you to, to be excited and to gloat about what you are able to build. There would be many, you can travel the world today and find churches that they would be really excited to show you everything that they built. They would be really happy to show you the paintings, to show you everything inside. But it doesn't mean anything if it's not ordered by God. The musicians would come. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse number 40. The Bible says, Now my God, let I beseech ye, Thine eyes be open and let thine ears be attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, into thy resting place, the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. Let thy saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, turn not away from the face of thine anointed. What he's saying is it's a nice house, it's got nice artwork. It looks really nice on the outside. It's got plenty of room, but if you don't fill this house, God, if you aren't the one that is in this place, if you aren't the one that is in the presence in the house, this house doesn't mean anything. These walls are meant for nothing if you are not in these pews. This, everything that we do, our praise means nothing if you don't inhabit our praises. It's useless if God is not in this house. And I want us all to stand in this place. I want us to really think about what God is calling us to do. I don't want us to view this house as just another place where we come to church I don't want this place just to be viewed as another religion or another church that's on the street, but I want every individual that walks by this place to say, you know what, now that is the house of God. That is the place where people go to be changed. That's the place that I want to go so that I can find peace, so that I can find joy, because this place means nothing if God is not in this house. And the only way that we can figure out whether or not God dwells in this place is if we offer unto him a sacrifice of prayer, a sacrifice of praise and worship. And we have got to be willing to do that because if not, this place is just a house built by a man. A house that was built to seat a certain number of people. But it's not about just the house. It's not about coming to a Tuesday night service. It's about the experience that we feel. It's about being able to step into his presence and really feel the anointing of God. It doesn't matter if we've got bare wood pews like back in the day that's in the the hall. It didn't matter if they were just pieces of board stuck together. Because it doesn't matter if it's an edifice that is unbelievable to look at or if it's just a concrete floor with a couple pieces of bench, with a couple pieces of wood put together to make a bench, but when God steps into the house, when God is in this place, it's not just a church now. All of a sudden, it becomes so much more because God dwells in the house, and when God dwells in the house, he's beginning to build the house for us. He's beginning to build something that you and I can't do. Later in that chapter... We find that the queen of Sheba comes to visit the house, comes to visit Solomon in the temple. She's walking, thinking about what Solomon would be because she's heard great things about Solomon. She's heard about the fame. She's heard about the temple. And she begins to think about what it's going to be like. She doesn't believe all of these things that have been said about Solomon because there's no way they can be true. She comes to the temple and she sees the cupbearers and the way that they're dressed and she sees the attendance of the ministers and she sees the greatness that is Solomon's temple. And she's amazed by it, but she's not all that impressed because those things can be bought just with with gold and silver but what she says is surely the lord loves israel because you are a blessed people what she's saying is these walls are they're beautiful this carpet has a a nice glint to it but god dwells in this place so i'm not amazed by the carpet if it's just carpet. And I'm not amazed by the walls and the artwork if it's just artwork. But what I really want is the presence of God. And what I really desire is for God to be a blessing unto me because he knows that his people value the house that he is building. Each and every one of us, you and I, we are a temple. We've got a building We've got a physical structure. But unless God builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. And so, what I wonder tonight is if you would just begin to pray God, I want to make ready the harvest that you are sending. I want to be prepared. I want to start in preparation. God, I want you to make me a house of prayer. If you would just lift up your hands. If you would just begin to declare, God, it's not about the physical structure. I don't care if it has nice music. I don't care if the preacher preaches good. All I care about is a a move of your anointing. I'm not so concerned about about the pieces that are in the house. But I want to know, God, are you in the house? God, I'm not worried about the color of the carpet. I don't care about what the lights are. But I want to know, God, do you dwell in the house? I wonder if you would catch this bird, and I wonder if you would make it your own and say, God, if you build the house, I will do whatever you ask of me. I will prepare in any way that you want me to prepare. I don't know what you're calling us to, God, but I want to be ready. And so I'm going to make ready my heart and I'm going to begin to just pray. God, make me a house of prayer. My body is a temple and I pray that you would build me a house of prayer. I wonder if you could begin to lift up your voice and just declare unto the enemy that this is in fact the house of God. This is not the place where we come just to to have a social club, but this is the presence of the anointed God. This is the house of God. This is the place where we are able to speak the miraculous. Even when it doesn't look like it's possible, we are able to proclaim, God, I know that you are working. I know that you have everything in order. I don't see it right now, but I've got faith in the process to believe. God, I know that you are able. I know that you are capable. I don't see it right now, but I'm exercising my faith. I wonder if you would declare in the house tonight. I wonder if you would be willing to exercise your faith. Say, God, I don't see it right now. I don't see my sons and daughters in the house of God. But I'm not going to stop praying because tonight could be the night. This prayer could be the prayer. Oh God, I pray that you would dwell in this house. I pray God that you would make me a house of prayer. Hallelujah, Jesus.